Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2016. This is Fred talking about Step 12. Good afternoon, Fred Alcoholic. Hi, Fred. And uh, sober today, by the grace of God, the 12 steps in good sponsorship. And uh, can I just say thank you to Chris for that amazing lunch? Thanks for the applause. I was hoping everybody would give a round round of applause for Chris. That was just unbelievable, Chris. I think uh, in Kyneton we have a few things happening over the years, and I put on a uh, Kyneton weekend there a few years ago, and uh, we we had a lady in our fellowship that owned a bakery, and her and her husband put on a pretty impressive spread, but... Oh, Chris, we can't hold a candle to that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, look, my sobriety day, I was here on the Friday night, and I'm sorry I missed yesterday. I had a full-on day yesterday, so I didn't get to the uh, Saturday session, but uh, I got to most of this morning, so I'm really, really happy to be here. And uh, my sobriety date is the, 20, the 17th of October, 1993. I know I look 21, but I'm actually 51. <laughs> and I had my 51st birthday recently. And uh, I shouldn't have lived to see... Uh, I got sober at 28, and I shouldn't have lived... I was at the final stages of my alcoholism, and I was just thinking, sitting there, in the, in, sitting there thinking while, while uh, the previous speakers were talking, and um, I can't point to the page in the book, because I've been a bit slack the last few years. I used to be a little bit of a... bit, bit, bit of a big book. No, I'm not a big book nasty, but... I, I used to love the big book and I used to love to quote it, but it does say in our literature that he will suddenly appear at institutions and institutionalisation, whether it's for a short period of time or whether it was like in the old days of prior to 1935 when our book was written, um, you were institutionalised when they committed you for... You were, you were a dipsomaniac back then. You weren't an alcoholic. Before the term alcoholic was even invented, it's a modern-day invention, alcoholism, by the way, you were a dipsomaniac. And if you were committed to an, uh, an, the alcoholic ward of a hospital, you didn't come out, usually. You died in that ward, usually, unfortunately, because um, you were classed as a dipsomaniac, you were unsafe for society, you were institutionalised for the rest of your life. And not so today. Of course, thank God, they've, the, the alcoholism has um, been accepted, and if America has done anything right in the last 75 years since AA was disco- uh, since our fellowship was founded... It's in educating the, the community about what alcoholism actually is and uh, what, it is, what the point, what it's not, what alcoholism is not. And I might just talk a little bit about that. But I was at the end stage. When I got here, when I got to this fellowship in 1993, I was at the final stages. I'd been to, <coughs> to two institutions. I'd been institutionalised twice at my own. I wasn't committed. I was um, voluntarily assigned myself to a mental ward and... Thanks, David. I really appreciated your share last night. I heard some parts of your story that I didn't, hadn't heard before. And I identified strongly because I was... Uh, friends at work at the end of my drinking... I don't, didn't want to go into my story, but I guess it's almost impossible to avoid not going into your story a little bit. But at the end of my drinking, um, I was com- I, friends had said to me, Fred, for God's sake, get some help. And I very reluctantly, because I thought I could sort it out. You know, I had a private school education. I was a um, pretty smart guy, or so I thought, and uh, I don't need to get any help for this problem. I've just got these, just a few problems going on. Once I get those sorted out, I'll, I'll be right. 
And I had no idea. I got to the rooms of AA, not well, I knew what it meant to be an alcoholic. I knew that if I was an alcoholic, that meant that I could never drink again. And that terrified me. That absolutely terrified me. So I went to see my doctor, and my doctor referred me to a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist said, um, I'll never forget this. He said, Fred, you do see yourself as a person of worth, don't you? And I thought I was being totally honest. I said, no, I don't, actually. I don't. And yet he was dumbstruck because he said, Fred, there's people in the community that look up to you. And I thought, really? I was shocked. And um, so I was at the end. I, he said, look, you've, you're severely depressed. I think you should maybe just check yourself into a private hospital for a few weeks and, um, and see how we go. And so I did that, and I gained a little bit of insight. I gained some knowledge about who I was and what I was. But it wasn't until four years later, so I did this little stint at the end of, at this private hospital, and uh, I went back to work and then went back a second time to this private hospital, supposedly to be treated for depression, depression and anxiety. And, uh, but I had started the journey. I'd got honest. I had uh, got honest with myself and uh, I wasn't honest to the extent that I could admit that I was an alcoholic. That was to come many years later. But um, I had begun the process of honesty, the self-honesty that uh, as an active alcoholic prevented me from from doing. And uh, four years later, this same psychiatrist said to me, Fred, you're an alcoholic and if you don't start going to AA... There's a meeting across there on a Tuesday night, and if you don't start going there, it's bye-bye, I don't want to see you anymore. And so I went to the... Uh, I thought, OK, well, gee, me, of all people, an alcoholic. Um, I was a marathon runner. I ran marathons, you know. I was an athlete. I had a private school education. I got the top of my class in my profession in my profession for the whole of New Zealand. I was born in New Zealand. I hope no one holds that against me. Jeff, Jeff's, a, Jeff's a Kiwi, so I'm in good company. Kiwis are alcoholics too can be alcoholics too. And um, this guy said, um, if you don't go and see this, go start going to AA. Four years into therapy, you know, he tells me I'm an alcoholic. But I was ready to hear and I w- went to my first meeting in 1993 and I felt like I was home. And the journey began. And I'm not here to talk about my story, I'm here to talk about step 12. And uh, it's the culmination of all the, all the other steps. And the, all, the new, all I had as a newcomer to these rooms in 1993 was the, the experience of those who had gone before. That's all I had. I, didn't, I had no self-knowledge. As a, I didn't have the... Well, I had no, no self-knowledge in treating the disease of alcoholism. But uh, when I got to these rooms, I knew that if I was an alcoholic, as I said, I could never drink again. And... Uh, all I knew was that I wanted to get well. And uh, the book talks about there's a price to pay. If I want sobriety, permanent sobriety, there is a price to pay. And it means the destruction of self-centeredness. And I discovered that in AA that I was a fear-based, self-centered individual. And um, I did a treatment centre. I went to a treatment centre in Hamner Springs in New Zealand and they had a very, very high success rate. And uh, I'll never forget this story. If I could just maybe share this little story that 
I was having this problem with this guy, you know, and, and uh, he was annoying the crap out of me. I thought he was picking on me. And I went to one of the, uh, the, the guys in the treatment centre and, look, I'm having this problem with this guy. He stuck this book under my nose, our big book, and he, he, I thought, he, he's not listening to me. He was flicking through this book and he's, he's looking for something in here and he's not listening to me. And this is where, you know, they say that AA is a bit like joining the mafia. <laughs> joining AA is like joining the, the, joining the mafia. You can never leave. You know too much. <laughs> you know too much. And I'm going through the drill. You know, I'm giving him the story about this guy, what he said and what he did and how it affected me. And he stuck, he stuck this book under my nose and he said, read this. How, yes, talk to me like that. And he said, Rick, what does the first, t- what's the top of page 20 say? And I said, I read it out, and he says, um, this is what it says. It said, our very lives as ex-problem drinkers, <coughs> excuse me, depend on our constant thought of others and how we may help meet their needs. I had to have another look at that. <laughs> Here am I complaining about this guy, who's another alcoholic, just like me, by the way. And that, that changed my life. That absolutely changed my life because I had, I had the, the whole of my life inside out. I was looking out there and uh, I wanted to, uh, you know, use the, some of my God-given ability to take me as far as I could in life, you know. And other people can see that. They could see that in me. They, they knew that. They, they knew why I wanted to conquer the, my own little world. Not, not the world itself, but I wanted to... I wanted to uh, go a long way in life and they could see that and one guy said to me one day Fred you're not going to change the world you know and thank God for this life changing program because it's an inside job it all starts with what's going on in here and I think one of the speakers mentioned it I can't remember who said it this today or yesterday or Friday um, whatever's wrong with the world is wrong with me when, I've, when I'm disturbed, as I've heard a few times, that today I've, when I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me. And uh, my story is that I spent 15 years in the rooms of AA trying to do it my way. And it didn't work. My way doesn't work. The idea that I could... That I'm a victim of, a, of quite a few delusions as an alcoholic, but I'm a victim of the delusion that I can rest satisfaction. I shared this last night at the, uh, on Friday night at the late meeting that Rhonda was speaking at. I'm a victim of the delusion that I can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this life if only I manage well. And it took me 15 years to work out the second part of step one. Not that I had a drinking problem, but that my life, the whole of my life was unmanageable. And on the basis of self, a self... Um, uh, when I'm trying to run my life, I'm standing on other people's toes whether I realise it or not. And uh, I did that all my life. And it wasn't until... I don't, I don't know how many people I've hurt as an active alcoholic. I'll never know. But I, I can't do much about that, but I can change today. I can change the here and now. And the purpose of me getting sober is to help the next suffering alcoholic. And if you can imagine, you know, just picture, paint your little picture for you. As an alcoholic, I am the walking dead as an active alcoholic. I'm the walking dead. And if you can imagine being in a dark, deep, dark hole, I guess, well, it's, 
give, let's paint the analogy a little bit. 12, 12 stories down, I can see the light at the end of it. I can see a light way above me. And I'm walking, I'm just stuck in this hole. And uh, when I got to AA, to AA and took step one, I got hope. And the light, the, the, the uh, cover that was on that hole it was taken off and light was shining down. But I needed to take 12 steps to get to the top, to get back to the, back to the real world, to get back to life itself, to get back to the level ground. Because I was in a deep, dark hole, as we all are when we get here. And uh, when I got to the top of that hole, had taken the 12 steps, I'm not the same person. And the best definition I've heard of humility is accepting your strengths and your weaknesses. It was glorifying my strengths and feeling sorry for myself because of my weaknesses that put me in that hole. But alcohol made me feel like I was back out out of that hole, but it threw me back into that hole every time. And today... Um, my sponsor, I'd like to acknowledge my late sponsor, Kevin M, who, uh, <coughs> who died last year. He, um, uh, we were talking about sponsorship on Friday night after, after the meeting and again this morning, this, uh, after the dinner. And I never talked to my sponsor for the first five, five years, basically, because he told me things I didn't want to hear. <laughs> I just was talking to some people out here before. and You know, he would, he would cut to the chase. He saw right through me and he'd cut to the chase. And when I was bringing him with a bit of a problem, I was wanting a bit of, bit of sympathy for the first five minutes. And then, sure, I didn't mind him telling me some home truths, but at least, at least listen to me for a couple of minutes and let me get it off, <laughs> let me get it off my chest first. But he would get straight into me, and uh, I didn't like that. And the book says that none of us like the self-searching, the levelling of our pride, and the confession of shortcomings that the process requires for its successful consummation. And that was me. If I want sobriety, a price has to be paid. It means I have to stop thinking about being driven by self and thinking of other people. And I'll just maybe read this little bit out for you. I just was reading through. I've taken a lot of notes over the years, and I've read this thing about humility. And my sponsor used to. My sponsor passed away last year, and uh, we went to Texas. Uh, sorry, to Akron, Ohio, and uh, I got invited to speak there at King School in Akron uh, a few years ago, where which was the first meeting of AA that ever Dr. Bob started and, uh, in 1935. And uh, it was King's School, the very first meeting. Well, there's a bit of a debate about where the first meeting took place, but it was King's School. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Bob, well, the Ak- well, it was a battle between the Akron. Dave's nodding his head. You know the story, Dave. The Akron, no, we started AA. And New York said, no, we started AA. And Dr. Bob lived in Akron and Bill Wilson lived in New York. And... Uh, they, New York claimed they started AA and, and there was a battle there. So. But I got invited to speak at King's School and my sponsor said to me when I came back from America the first time, he said, are you going to go over and speak there? And I said, yeah, I think I might. And he said, can I come too? And uh, his sponsor came with us. He was, Reg was 82 uh, with something like 45 years sobriety. My sponsor had, I think, 30 years at the time or 25 years, I forget now. And I was the baby with 17 years. And um, the three amigos went to uh, <laughs> went to America. We went to Akron, and we, you know, just, you know, I just say that because these are the sort of things I was looking for. And that wonderful friendship I was looking for in my drinking and never found. And uh, I found it in AA. And he, always, my sponsor, my current sponsor, was in Dallas, Texas. Uh, Gary B. And uh, he was here recently. He comes over twice a year. 
and we ran a workshop, a uh, big book workshop together a few years ago, and we might, we might do another one. But um, I just wanted to read this little thing out that I found, some notes that I've taken over the years. It's about humility. And as I said before, humility, I would, humility is accepting my strengths and my weaknesses, and that places me on a level playing field with the rest of humanity, that I'm just one of the nine billion people in this world. I'm not glorifying in my strengths. I'm not beating myself up over my weaknesses. Humility, it puts me on a level playing field. Humility means being open and learning to ch- open to learning and to change. Humility is only possible when I have self-respect, <clears throat> and self-respect comes with self-knowledge. Step eleven: ask for his knowledge, have his will for us. Self-knowledge tells us we are part of the whole, a spoke in the wheel. I'm not everything, nor am I nothing. Humility creates this understanding and keeps me in balance. If I'm not attached to my, goal, to my good qualities or my weaknesses, I can deal with both. When I love and cultivate my positive qualities, they increase and they serve others. Through attention and honesty to my weaknesses, they decrease. Humility is our greatest protection, preventing us from falling into the abyss of arrogance and self-complacency. Humility keeps us alert to all possibilities. From being deceived and creating disasters to the possibility of creating the most surprising miracles. Humility is the fruit of self-respect. A humble person is never afraid of being vulnerable and never fears loss. Humility brings certainty without dogma. What we need is always within us. Nothing and no one can take away these inner, take away these inner resources. Humility springs from inner security making us willing to and ready to communicate, to cooperate, and to experiment with new thoughts and ideas. Humility is the proof of self-mastery, of having conquered the I and me, and prevents me from being snared into games of power and manipulation, which can destroy respect and friendship. We must be trustees and not owners. We must act as such with others. Ownership creates the fear of loss, People who feel they own something are always suspicious, always on guard. Being a trustee means understanding that we own nothing and no one. It's a paradox. When we relinquish everything, we receive everything. What we need will always come to us. There's enough for everyone. Trustee consciousness means that we save a tremendous amount of mental and emotional energy. No time is wasted in selfish calculations and clever manipulations. With trustee consciousness, we become masters. A master works with the eternal principles of the universe. A master is humble and self-sufficient, maintaining the balance and harmony. The greatest humility of all is to recognise and accept that there are laws beyond those laws which are human laws. That we do not set the standard for the universe. The eternal principles protect and govern the well-being of all life. We need to align ourselves with these principles to find freedom and a a new way of life. It's been an amazing, amazing weekend, and uh, I'd like to just thank Jeff, the speaker that spoke on step one. That was just amazing. If he's here today, thank you, Jeff. Um, I got a lot out of that, and I I know you've all got a lot out of this weekend. The principles of... My sponsor always starts and finishes his sharing with, with this statement that, what are the steps? The 12 steps are a group of principles Spiritual in nature, which if practised as a way of life, can expel the obsession to drink and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. That's why I'm here today, and I hope that's why you're here today too.
extensively. Information about the annual Melbourne AA Steps Weekend is available from www.stepsweekend.aagroup.org.au. Thanks for letting us share.